The way you see life shapes the way you live your life. I'm sure you realize that. The way you see your life shapes the way, certainly shapes the way you live your life. Your perspective, we would say, your perspective on life will influence how you invest your time, how you spend your money, how you use your talents, and how you value your relationships. Matter of fact, if you wanted to get to know someone, you could ask them the question, how do you see your life? How do you see life? And their answer will reveal a great deal about them. How do you see your life? People often use some cliche answers to that. Sometimes they'll say, well, life's like a carousel. You know, sometimes you're up, sometimes you're down, sometimes you're just going round and round and round. Or some people will say, well, life is like being dealt a hand of cards. Sometimes you're dealt a good hand and sometimes you're not. Some people would say, well, life is like a 10-speed bicycle. You got a lot of gears you never use, you know. How you answer that question reveals a lot about you. You could call that, it is called that, called a life metaphor. A life metaphor is how you see life. And it influences your life more than you probably realize. In other words, if you think life is a party, you're always going to be looking for a good time. If you think life is a race, you're probably going to be in a hurry a lot. If you think life is a game or a big competition, you're going to be thinking, well, I got to win at this. Winning is going to be very important to you. You realize you may be basing your life on a wrong life metaphor. It's easy to do that. It's easy to be influenced by a world and all the things that come at us and, and basically think of life the way the world looks at life. So I want to challenge you about making sure that you have a biblical life metaphor, that you see life from God's perspective. That's my title here this morning, Seeing Life from God's Perspective. Don't base your life on a faulty metaphor. The Bible says, and do not be conformed to this world. You know the verse, Romans 12, 2. Do not be conformed to this world. Don't let the world shove you, shape you into its mold. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. It starts in the mind, goes throughout the life. By the renewing of your mind that you may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. If you're going to do the will of God, you have to view life from a proper perspective, from God's perspective. And that may mean altering your life metaphor, how you see life. Using the word of God this morning, the Bible offers us probably several life metaphors, but I want to focus on three in particular, three life metaphors or how God wants you to see life. Number one, life is a test, so prepare diligently. Life is a test, so prepare diligently. For probably for many people here, it's been quite a while since you've taken a test. But life really is a test, and you keep preparing for the tests that God brings to you. Throughout the Bible, God is continually testing people's character, their faith, their obedience, their love, their integrity. As a matter of fact, that's why we see words like trials, 
temptations, refining, testing, over 200 times in the Bible because they're reoccurring themes. God tests his people. Life is a test. God tested Abraham by asking him to offer his son Isaac on the altar. God tested Jacob to see if he was willing to work another 14 years for his wife, Rachel. Adam and Eve failed the test in the Garden of Eden. David failed the test on several different occasions. But the Bible gives us many examples of those who pass great tests. Joseph passed the test that God put in front of him. Ruth passed the test that the Lord brought into her life. Esther passed with flying colors the tests that she was facing. Daniel, he was a captive in Babylon, passed the test several times as he was tested by God and those around him. Character, which is so important, character is both developed and revealed by tests. Now, God knows our character, but our character is revealed as we go through tests, so we'll be able to say, I need some work in this area. Character is revealed. It's tested, and it's revealed through these trials that we go through. God constantly watches your response to people, to problems, to successes, to conflict, to illness, and disappointment. He notes the simplest actions, such as when you open a door for someone or how you treat your waitress. The Bible tells us that God notices everything that's going on in your life. And all of it is a part of God's testing procedures, how we pick up a piece of trash, how we treat people. When you understand that life is a test, you realize nothing in my life is insignificant before God because God is watching and God is sovereignly ordained for every day of my life for certain things to happen so he can test my character, so he can change my character. So nothing is insignificant. You've heard me say several times, what you do today matters for eternity. I absolutely believe that. What you do today, and that means what you do tomorrow, not just because today is Sunday, but what you do tomorrow will matter in eternity and your reward. It determines your character, it determines your reward. When you understand that life is a test, you realize nothing is insignificant. Every day is an important day, and every situation is a growth opportunity to deepen your character to demonstrate love, to depend upon God, to act in faith, in other words. Some tests seem overwhelming. I've had some tests in my life, death of our son, other things that have come up that seemed overwhelming, that made me want to just throw up my hands and, and just in despair kind of quit and walk away. Some tests seem overwhelming. Some are seemingly insignificant. But all of them have eternal consequences. The good news is God wants you to pass your test. God's on your side, maybe we could say. The Holy Spirit is helping us. He's pumping grace to us every time we ask him for it. 
The good news is that God wants you to pass the test of life. Listen to this scripture. There hath no temptation. That's a word for test. Temptation and test is the same word in the New Testament depending upon the context. There hath no temptation or test taken you, but such as is common to man. You can't say, oh God, my burdens are, are way heavier than anybody else's. My trials are deeper and more troublesome than anybody's ever faced. Of course not. There hath no temptation taken you, but such as is common to man. But God, who is faithful, will not suffer you to be tempted above that which you're able, but will with the temptation make a way of escape. There's a way out that you may be able to bear it. 1 Corinthians 10, 13. Matter of fact, James even puts it in a brighter context. James says it this way, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into diverse, it's the Greek word for variegated, means like a variegated plant, many different colors, you know, kind of green and yellow, etc. When you fall into diverse or many kinds of tests. Matter of fact, it's an interesting word. I love this phrase here because it says, brethren, count it. It's an accounting term that he uses there. In other words, when you come to a test and you take out the ledger of life, you write on the ledger of life, this test will become a joy. This test, if I pass it on the end of the equation, it will produce joy in my life. Tests are God's way of not just testing our character, but producing joy in our life because we see God's character coming through in our life when we respond correctly. My brethren, count it all joy. Attribute it, put it on the ledger of life, that this is going to produce joy in the end because of how we respond, James 1-2. Now, the truth is most of us have either failed or done poorly on some tests, probably because we didn't prepare right. We didn't prepare enough. The answers to these earthly tests, these earthly trials, are found in our life manual. All the answers are here. It's an open book test, we could say. And the answers are recorded for us in the Word of God, and we can pass the test if we will study the Word of God. This is the manual of life, and the correct answers to the tests of life are written with the pen of faith. When we trust God, we know his word, and we act in response to his word, and we write the answers with the pen of faith, we will pass the test. First, forming a life metaphor. Life is a test. Prepare diligently. Number two, life is a trust. Invest wisely. Invest wisely. Our time our energy, our intelligence, our opportunities, and our relationships are all gifts from God. Let me say that again. Our energy, our time, our intelligence, our opportunities, our relationships are all gifts from God entrusted to us for our care and our management. Whatever you have, God gave it to you. Certainly, we do work, certainly we apply ourselves, our gifts, our talents, etc. We, we use our time, etc. But 
only because God gave them to you and he placed you in this context, in this country, etc., that, that you have what you have. And you're to be a steward. Life is a trust. We are stewards. God is the owner of everything and everyone. Listen to what the Bible says, Psalm 24, verse 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. That's the poetic way of saying the earth belongs to God and everything and everybody in it. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof. The world and they that dwell therein. We get that. As Christians, we understand that. We understand that we never really own anything during our stay on earth. And we say, well, my car's out in the parking lot or my house is up the road. But we never really own anything during our stay on earth. God just loans it to us for a period of time. It's lent to us for a period of time while we're here. It was God's property before you arrived. It'll be someone else's property temporarily after you're gone. Somebody's going to live in that house. If you don't run your car on the ground, somebody's going to drive that car after you trade it in or sell it or whatever. God will loan it to someone else after you die. You just get to use it for a while. That's really what the Bible teaches. We're stewards. We're household managers. We use what God gives us for his glory. The Bible says, what do you have that God hasn't given you? And if all you have is from God, why boast as though you have accomplished something on your own? 1 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 7. I don't think it could be any clearer in that translation. Everything that you have came from God. So why do you brag about it? Why do you, why do you get a big head about what you have? It came from God. He gave you the gifts and abilities to get it. So give him the glory is the idea. Several years ago, Starry and I had the opportunity to stay at a home in Hawaii. Um, it was a man, the his name is Pendleton. You might be familiar with his, he makes sweaters and, and, and blankets. And he lived in Alaska, got tired of Alaska, so he bought a home in Hawaii. Lived in Alaska, but had owned this home in Hawaii. Towards the end of his life, he wanted to, to be a blessing to people in ministry. So it was a large home, with several bedrooms, and he made it available to people in ministry. Somebody told me about it. So you had to write a letter and apply and give the dates, et cetera. So I wrote the letter, said, we'd like to use your home, one of the bedrooms in your home. And, uh, and you had to include your certificate of ordination and that kind of thing, a few, few details. So I got a letter back and said, yeah, it's yours during that week. So we made preparation. We could have never done it without that. We stayed in Hawaii for free. We didn't get there for free, but we stayed in Hawaii for free. Stayed in this lovely home on a, a beautiful set of grounds with all kinds of fruit trees and, and uh, had a gardener and et cetera. There was a, another couple that were in the house that didn't have kids. And uh, we used the kitchen. Uh, we slept in their beds. We used their dishware. We walked around the grounds. We used everything that was there, but it wasn't ours, so we treated it with special care. We didn't want... The groundskeeper or the housekeeper writing and saying, well, never had those Heinzes back. They wrecked the place. They were slobs. 
we still got a we still got a cockroach problem or something. I, I I didn't want that to happen, so we took extra special care. We used our towels. We 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 did it all, and we loved it. Sometimes you hear people say, "Well, people only take care of things that are that that they own." Not if you're a Christian. That's not true, because we really don't own anything. We treat it all as if it's God's because it is. And we want to be good stewards. Christians live to a higher standard. And we realize that everything that we have came from God's hand. It's his goodness. And so we want to be good stewards and a good testimony. So life is a trust. Invest wisely. Some of the people here today have trust and you have wills and you've been putting money into that to live during retirement and then after you're gone, maybe for your children, maybe even, maybe even a ministry that has, has blessed you and after you're gone, that money and that trust goes to those designated places. That's what life is like. We're continually investing, and we're investing wisely because life is a trust. We're putting, putting our time, energy, money, etc., into something that we're trusting will pay eternal dividends someday. The Bible says it this way, 1 Corinthians 4, 2. It says, moreover, it is required in stewards that a man be found faithful. It's a requirement for good stewards. All of us are stewards, but we want to be good stewards. It is required among stewards, he's talking to Christians, that you be found faithful. Matthew 25, 21 says this, His Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Enter now thou into the joy of the Lord. He was a good steward, and, and so he's rewarded. Matter of fact, I want you to notice a couple of things. First of all, there's God's affirmation. This is a picture of us getting to heaven. This is us at the, at the Bema seat receiving our reward someday. First, there is a God's affirmation that comes to him. He says, well done. We live for the well done statement from God. Well done is God's affirmation. Second, I notice a promotion. He says, you've been faithful over a few things. I'll make you ruler over many things. There is a promotion. You were faithful here on earth, now in heaven, now in glory. You're going to rule over many cities, as says in a different passage. So there's an affirmation from God. There's a promotion from God. And then there's a celebration. He says, enter thou into the joy of the Lord. It's a picture of a banquet. It's a picture of a party. It's a picture of a wonderful time. It's a picture of a, a steward who served well, who's now enjoying the blessing of God, the rewards that come from God. Everything you do has eternal implications. Your relationships, your money, your time, your leisure, all of it, your opportunities, your intelligence, it's all from God. Wise investing. Wise investing means saying no to some short-range desires so you can achieve some long-range goals. That's what wise investing is. 
You know what? I'd love to be driving a Camaro today. I'd love to drive a new car every year. You've heard me say that. I'm kind of a car person. I grew up in Michigan, okay? Motor City, Detroit. I lived there for a while. I was working on my degree. Okay? You can't, you can't always, unless you've got unlimited funds, you can't always be driving a new car or living in a new house or whatever. You have to say no to some short-range desires. We all have desires. We have to say no to short-range desires so we can achieve our long-range goal. Now take that in the financial realm and apply it in the spiritual realm. That's what the Bible is telling us. We have to say no to the lust of the flesh so we can say yes to the Holy Spirit of God. So we say no, no, no to some of these short-range appealing desires so we can see that which is eternal, which is really the real reward. If it's true in retirement investing, it's much more true in eternal investing. But unfortunately... Satan switches the price tags around. He, he makes us think that the things, the cheap, shiny baubles uh, of this life are the things to go after and the eternal things, the things that are not seen except by faith, are, are, are immaterial. They're, they're not to be desired. Satan switches the price tags around us all the time, and he makes us go say, oh, that looks really good. I can afford that. And we buy into that mentality, and we forget about the long-range eternal investing. Don't fall for his cheap imitations that neither last nor bring satisfaction. Everything that he does in that realm doesn't last and it does not satisfy. So second, life is a trust. Invest wisely in that which will outlive you, in that which will bring eternal rewards. Third, life is transient. Walk circumspectly. In the Bible, walking circumspectly means being aware looking around, having your eyes wide open, not falling into the traps. Walk circumspectly. In other words, be, be really conscious of this world, but really conscious of the next world. Life on earth is a temporary assignment. It is. It's a temporary assignment. In the Bible, life is described in, in just some of the ways, as a mist, as a fast runner, as a breath, as a vapor, as a wisp of smoke. All of those things are transient, temporary. They're here one moment and they're gone the next. Compared with eternity, life is extremely brief. And we're only temporary residents here. We're just passing through. We're just pilgrims, that's the term, but we're temporary residents. You won't be here long, so don't get too attached to this world. Always reminds me of what Elizabeth Taylor said to her sixth husband. She said, don't get too comfortable, honey, you won't be here that long. And that was true in her life. <laughs> I think she died 
with her seventh husband. Don't get too comfortable, honey. You aren't going to be here that long. That's true of us. Not in marriage, but we aren't going to be here that long, so don't get too comfortable. Life is transient. The Bible says it this way, Lord, make me to know my end and the measure of my days that I may know how frail I am. Psalm 39, verse 4. Make me to know my days. In other words, help me to measure my days and realize how brief they are that I may realize how frail I am. And we sometimes realize that at points in life. I, I was... Uh, I shoveled my driveway, my sidewalk, and my patio yesterday. I was telling him in Sunday school. And I thought, well, it's kind of, it's kind of bright and sunny out. And I, I love to walk. I walk our neighborhood. And I thought, well, I'll go for a walk. And there's a, a kind of a steep path that goes down to the walkway there. And they plow the, the pathways, the sidewalks uh, in our neighborhood. And I was walking down. And it had been plowed earlier. And it's frozen some. And, and I did that. I hit the ice, and man, I flipped. I, I, I flipped, my feet went up in the air, and I landed on my back. And I thought, I'm alive. I can't breathe for a second here. And then I groaned a little bit, and I kind of, my hat flew off, my gloves flew off. And I thought, oh, I wonder, I hope I didn't break my back, my neck. And I moved around a little bit, and I thought, oh. Everything seemed to be moving. It just as painful. Got up. I walked back in the house, and I realized I didn't have my gloves. I had to walk back and get my gloves. And uh, took some Advil and, you know, did all the things you, you do to do it. And I thought, you know, the Bible says we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But we're also fragile. We really are. My neighbor, just three doors down was the pastor at a church right here, not too far from us, Nick Lillo. And his wife went on vacation to Michigan, caught an infection, and became paralyzed. We're the same age. She became paralyzed. She's been in and out of the hospitals, had multiple surgeries, in a wheelchair, etc. We're fragile. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but we're fragile and weak as well. And you don't know, you can hit some black ice and, and you could become paralyzed or you could lose your life. We're fearfully and wonderfully made, but we're fragile and we're weak as well. We know that. So life is transient. So we walk circumspectly. You know, many people have moved here to America from other parts of the world to work here but they keep their citizenship in their home country. Maybe they plan to retire there. Maybe they go home to visit family. So they're required to, get, to carry a guest worker card. We know it as a green card. They carry a guest worker card or a green card, which allows them to live here, to work here, even though they aren't citizens here. Now, that seems to be changing at our southern border. But they... Uh, uh, Come here, they go through the process, and they, they get a green card. Christians really should carry around in our wallet a green card just to remind us that our citizenship is in heaven. This is not our home. This is not where we call home. 
The Bible says it this way, Philippians 3.20, For our citizenship is in heaven, from which we also wait for the Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ. So we're waiting to get home. Right now we're walking through this world, and we're carrying our green card. We're working. We're enjoying life, hopefully. But ultimately, our home is in heaven with Jesus Christ. Imagine if you were asked by your country here the U.S., to become an ambassador to a unfriendly nation. In Bible times, an ambassador lived in an unfriendly nation to keep tabs on what was going on and report back home in case there was an insurrection that the Roman soldiers would be able to come and put it down or whatever. So they were to keep tabs. So, so let's say you're an ambassador to an unfriendly nation. You might have to learn a new language. You might have to learn the culture, certainly, of that land. And you, you, you can't be isolating yourselves. You, you have to mix and mingle with the people. That's, that's important if you're going to be a successful ambassador. But what happened if you fell in love with your assigned country and you didn't want to go back home? You preferred it here in your assigned country as an ambassador over your homeland. Well, you would cease to be an effective ambassador. Preferring that country to your homeland, your ambassadorship would be compromised. The Bible says, now then we are ambassadors for Christ, 2 Corinthians 5.20. In other words, God saved us and he's placed us in a hostile world to be an influence for heaven. He's put us here to be a witness, uh, to, to bring others to safety, to bring others into, into the kingdom of God as it advances. We're ambassadors here. We're not to fall in love with this country. We're, we're not to fall in love with this world. We're to be ambassadors to it. Compared with other centuries, there's no question. If you know history, it's never been easier for much of the Western world than it is right now. I may be changing, but it's never been a better life for people anywhere on earth than it has been for people living in the Western world, maybe Western Europe and the U.S. of A. We are constantly entertained, amused, maybe we would even say pampered with all the fascinating attractions, the mesmerizing media and the enjoyable experiences that are available to us today. And it's easy to forget that the pursuit of happiness is not why we're here. We're not here for the pursuit of happiness. As Christians, we're here in pursuit of the kingdom, as representatives of the Savior. That's what it's all about. And only as we view life from God's perspective will the appeal of these things lose their grip on our life. That doesn't mean that we don't enjoy life or we don't have fun. Certainly not. But we can't forget why we're here and who we're to represent. We're to walk circumspectly because life is transient. We're just passing through. Some of you have heard me tell Several years ago, when my mother was still alive, my mother lived till she was 95. 
I've lived out here in Colorado for almost 40 years. My, all of my family, all of my siblings, my parents lived back in Michigan. And I knew my mother was up in years and getting close to dying, and she had Alzheimer's. She was, had to be moved into a nursing home. And I went back to see her suffering from Alzheimer's and spent a day there with her. And, and she was in bed and I asked, it was a nice warm spring, early summer day, late spring day. I asked if I could take my mother outside. And they said, sure. And they brought a winch over, put the straps underneath her, uh, hoisted her out of bed, put her in a wheelchair, kind of like a piece of meat. And then I was able to push her outside and have a little bit of a conversation. You know people with dementia, Alzheimer's, it's sometimes difficult or sometimes limited. And so we chatted a little bit and uh, here's my mom, been married for 50 plus years to my dad, raised nine children on a dairy farm, cooked cooked unbelievable meals, canned and froze, killed animals, cows every year, hogs, and butchered them and canned them, did piles, I mean mountains of laundry, worked out in the barn, and done all of these things. And uh, we had been to visit her on different occasions, and my mother, because of her mind, she said, Lester, are you married? Do you have children? I said, oh, yes, Mom, I've been married for years. We have three children. One is in heaven. You've met our kids, Mom. Then she said, was I ever married? <laughs> Here's my mom. I said, Mom, of course you were married. You have a big family. They love you. You have boatloads of grandchildren. Yes, Mom, you were married. And I thought to myself, life is so transient. It's a vapor that appeareth for a short while and then vanishes away. Life is transient. So live for God now. Don't say someday. Well, when I get older, when I get these things accomplished, when I enjoy my life, Live for God now. To keep us from becoming too attached to this earth, God allows significant amount of dissatisfaction in life. You probably experienced some of that. So we don't get too tied down, so happy with this world, God allows some dissatisfaction in life, unfulfilled longings. We're not completely happy here because we're not supposed to be completely happy here. This is a broken world. We're sinful creatures. And, and we're not going to be completely happy here. That's in the next life, not this life. So God allows us to have some dissatisfaction. 2 Corinthians 4.18, we look not at the things which are seen, all around us. We look not at the things that are seen, but at the things which are not seen. Now notice that's kind of an iconic phrase. We look or we stare, we see the things that are not seen. 
How do you see things that are unseen? Well, you're seeing things that are eternal by faith. But as the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal, he tells us. Sometimes we just have to lift our gaze from this world to the next one and say, God, help me not to look at the things that I can see. Help me to see the things that I cannot see because those are the important things. Those are the real things. Those are the eternal things. So for all of us, however old you are here today, eternity is coming up fast. Eternity is coming up fast. Are you preparing diligently? Are you investing wisely? Are you walking carefully? If not, today you need to make some changes. Today you need to ask God for grace. Because I don't think any of us will be in heaven five seconds. I don't think any of us will be in heaven five seconds without saying, oh, God, why did I place so much importance on things that are not really important, that were not really eternal? Why did I do that? So now's the time we ask the Holy Spirit to help us to see the things that are eternal to invest wisely, to walk circumspectly. Let's pray. Father, we bow before you today. Thank you that the scriptures remind us over and over about living for the right things. They preach to us. They speak to us. Help us to listen. Lord, I would pray for the majority of us here today, I'm assuming that probably almost everyone here today, maybe not everyone, but almost everyone here today is a professing Christian. And Lord, you know we're so easily driven off track. We so easily allow things to capture our attention and then we begin to pursue them. And we all need things. We realize that. But help us, help us to live for you, to live for eternity. Help us to do business with you this morning, confessing things that are not pleasing to you, to realigning our priorities, focusing our gaze. And Lord, if there's someone here today that doesn't know you as Savior, never put their trust in you, never been born again, doesn't have the confidence of heaven, may today be the day they seek us out, myself, Pastor Zach, Pastor Brian, someone, and get help, get answers to the questions that are the most important questions of life. I pray that you'll use your word in our life. In Jesus' name, amen.